Welcome to the Metta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm speaking today with Vlada Bortnik. Vlada is co-founder and CEO of Marco Polo, the popular video communication app that so many have relied on this past year and a little bit more of COVID. Vlada is an immigrant from the former Soviet Union, and her path to Silicon Valley has been one of determination and steadfast passion for making the world a happier place. After five years at Microsoft, where she helped design and launch the first content publishing platform for Office Online. She and her husband, Mihao, co-founded Bortnik Labs, a consulting firm specializing in startup strategy, product management, and design. In 2012, they founded Joya Communications, the parent company of Marco Polo, combining their skills and experience to create a better way to help people stay close. Vlada's approach to life as a busy mom and tech CEO is grounded in mindfulness and meditation. Welcome to the podcast, Vlada. Thank you so much for having me here. This is such an honor and a, and a thrill, honestly. Well, it, it's really <laughs> delightful to, if not see you, then hear you and be with you in, in some way. Where are you right now? Where are you recording from? I'm coming to you from Menlo Park, California. <laughs> where it's very sunny today. Ah, it's very sunny here too in Massachusetts. So great. Yeah, really. It's like, wow. I never get tired of it. <laughs> it's so nice, especially after living in Seattle for so long. Ah, that's um, true. Microsoft. Yeah. Well, you know, one Microsoft. thing I was going to say in the introduction, which I forgot, was that what, one thing I'm really enjoying is that Marco Polo has also become a verb, like <laughs> Google or Zoom, like my friend Thea will say, oh, I have to Marco Polo her. And I always pause for a moment, like, is that a thing to say? How do you feel about becoming a verb? Well, it's it feels surreal <laughs> because so many iconic brands are verbs. Um, and it also feels hopeful because to me, Marco Polo is not just an app, as you know, as you know. For me, what we're doing, Marco Polo, is much more mission-driven, and we're almost starting a movement mm -hmm. <laughs> to create technology that's actually good for you, that doesn't, you know, use dark design patterns, that's ad-free, doesn't sell your data, um, and really with the focus on authentic communication. And so, if if Marco Polo become a verb, means more and more people are getting to experience authentic communication with their real friends and family members, not the 500 people they're connected with on the various social media networks, then that is really exciting for me. So it's designed to have more intimate communications with smaller groups. Is that right? Yeah. it's Marco Polo is a private video chat for your real relationships. So you wouldn't want to use it with, you know, what we call friends is really more like connections and so mm -hmm. many I think I have almost a thousand connections now on the various platforms, but those are not the people when they come to visit, I would actually go have a dinner with them, you know, post COVID. Um, mm -hmm. So Marco Polo is designed for people I would actually want to go see. I'd actually talk to, I, you know, I actually want to know deeply and meaningfully. And do people largely use it in the United States? Do they use it around the world? You know, Marco Polo is um, used all over the world, but our biggest base is in the United States. And that's primarily also because that's where we spend most of our time, um, you know, thinking about the U.S. market first. But it's definitely open for anybody globally to use it as well. And, and especially during COVID times mm -hmm. where people were often stuck in the quarantine, yeah. um, Marco Polo became a lifeline for them to their loved ones across the seas and the oceans. I'm so intrigued by that and the timing of that, you know, just like, yeah. um, 
communication, connection, not feeling so alone for those people who are more isolated, which of course is not everybody, but you know, some number of people have really been isolated and, and uh, just the timing of it is kind of awesome. Yeah. You know, it's with next year, it's going to be 10 years since we started the company. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. And our purpose has always been the same to help people feel close. And it's, I don't know if you, if you know this, um, but the way Miha and I started the company is we dug into a lot of the happiness research slash wisdom research. Oh, really? That, yeah. And because when we started having our family, our priorities changed. You know, we really started asking us the question, ourselves the question of what do we want most in life? And what we wanted was for our kids to be happy. We just were audacious enough to think that if we just read all the research, uh-huh. <laughs> we can then figure out how to create happy kids. <laughs> uh-huh. And the thing that kept coming up so often was how important real connections are. Mm-hmm. You know, not the kind where it's surface level, but the kind of connection where you can call somebody in the middle of the night, they'll answer the kind of person you can call and share that joy with. And we found that it was very difficult to have that kind of connection at the time we were starting our family. So, um, you know, even video calls, although they were available, they didn't actually feel that connecting because they're so structured and scheduled. Um, and became feeling like quite a chore. So anyways, for us, we always believed that connection was really important. And it was interesting that even leading into COVID, before COVID, you've probably heard the work from um, the former attorney general, Dr. Uh, Vivek Murthy, about the loneliness epidemic, how Mm -hmm, that was mm -hmm. happening prior to COVID. Yeah. And then COVID just hit and everybody just, it was like a mass awareness, like, oh my gosh, we got to yeah. hold on to what really matters. And what matters is our connection to one another and how, how much I think we have been picking tools that optimize efficiency and quantity of connection over quality of connection. And I believe that has really weakened our ties and has created more loneliness and more discord than than we want. Well, Dr. Murti is uh, also the current Surgeon General, having been right, the former right. Surgeon That's General, right. so he's back. He's so, back. That's right. That's right. You know, I expect loneliness to have uh, another shining moment um, because it's true. You know, uh, in one of my books, I can't remember which one, I quoted a book that was, I think, really. A great book, but it was especially great in my mind because of the title, which was Bowling Alone. Oh, and yes. That was about society shifting and things that used to bring people together, like maybe a bowling league in your community, in your town, where once a week, even if you had politically opposite <laughs> views, I mean, you may not even have known the, the, the political views of your fellow league members, but once a week you went out and you bowled together and and now people are bowling alone, you know, yeah. that these ways of coming together are really shifting or certainly for some people, while not everybody, the bastions of, of classical religion, the church, the synagogue, it may not be so central to your everyday life and um, the community that you feel you are a part of. It may be, but it's also shifting for yeah. a lot of people. And so it it makes sense that there would be a lot of loneliness as a result. And then uh, here we are, you know, with the possibility of creating new forms of connection. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more with you. There used to, We used to connect with each other much more. <laughs> you know, people used to call each other, and like you said, go bowling together. And I think something also, this word, like, you know, when somebody asks you, how are you? It's like mm-hmm. a badge and honor, of honor to say, I'm so busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's this, this drive to be as busy as you can be, I think is what is causing a shift in how we've been communicating, which really moved from voice-based communication. We used to call each other or meet each other in person, like physical connection to text-based communication through email, social, and text. That's really 
like I said, optimize the number of connections, efficiency of connection, but I really believe sacrifice the quality. Um, you know, we had this story, I don't know if Thea, I shared this with you, but I met this woman um, and she was telling me how one of her best friends moved to um, Nashville to pursue her music career dream. And meanwhile, she got pregnant and had, you know, had her kid. And, you know, she's trying to stay in touch with his friend on social. And a year later, when after the first year of days and haze of being a new parent, um, kind of lifted, she called her friend to see how she's doing. And her friend was like, where have you been? It's mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? It seems like you've been doing great. <laughs> she's like, no, I've been really suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's because we tend to post the highlight reels of our life and not, you know, and share the real connection when we see somebody, when we can actually talk to them. Um, and so I think that's been my hypothesis that's, that's really been weakening our bonds as a society. So like you said, yeah, it's very true. Yeah. I mean, like, even if you have difficult, different political views, if you're seeing each other face to face or talking, or sharing of our common interests, it's much harder to be nasty to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you might disagree, but that's okay. You can still talk through things. Mm-hmm. But if you're just relying on texting and commenting, it's easier to hide. It's easier to become somebody that you actually are not. Because I think each of us are actually just love. <laughs> well, the evolution of a lot of social media platforms has been to kind of a curated life like a friend of mine who's a professor at a university uh told me once in the class he was worried about his students because as he put it you never post a photo of your mediocre lunch you know yeah you only post some creation with foam or whatever and and then everyone else says oh I don't have lunch like that you know like my life's not as good and and you know, you count how many people liked your photo and uh, it's a very different way of being with one another. So you have to already know people to Marco Polo with them. Yeah, that's right. So Marco Polo is completely private. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to have the person's phone number. Um, You can just like search for somebody or, you know, through various algorithms happen to find somebody. We don't, we don't do any of that. It's really meant for people you already know that you want you to connect yeah. with really mm-hmm. and then really, I don't think that's a word and <laughs> authentically. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what happens. Like we, you know, especially through COVID, but even before we heard so many stories of people crying together, sharing the joys of baby being born, but also the trauma of loved ones and the grief mm-hmm. of loved ones passing. Um, and you can do that through, you can do it with Marco Polo because it is a face-to-face. It's a face-to-face communication, right? It's through video. Um, but the beauty of Marco Polo is that you don't actually have to be live. So I can start talking when I have a moment, when my daughter does something adorable or when something terrible happens to me and I just can't like hold it in anymore. I can just get it off my chest. And if the person is there or my group of friends are there, they can watch me live and respond right away. But if they're not there, that's okay. Cause everything gets recorded and they can watch it later when they're mm-hmm. free. And so for, um, especially for people who are busy, <laughs> who have lots of things going on, or honestly, even for people who have anxiety about connecting mm-hmm. live on, you know, video chats, it's a really great way to still meaningfully connect with, with people that matter to them. And you can go back and kind of treasure the memory, right? Because you can just play it because it's been recorded. Like probably the most poignant thing I've read in a chat this last year or so um, was just somebody put in the chat on a Zoom session. Um, I live in a nursing home. I haven't had a visitor in over a year. And I just just kept reading it, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, like. It's been really tough for a lot of people. Um, yeah. um, it's beautiful to think of for those people <clears throat> who have that, that sense of connection with others that there are there are several ways of, of bringing that about. 
Yeah. Um, wow, that is a powerful statement. Yeah. <laughs> My heart just like contracted yeah. at hearing yeah. that. Um, and yeah, we heard from so many people that you know when they would get a, when they would get a Marco Polo from their loved ones, they can watch it over and over. So even if the person's you know can't visit them, it feels like there's you know they can replay it and feel that love and feel that connection um, again and again. And, but also, you know, through this time, so many people have died yeah. and Marco Polo has served as almost like a record of their life and time together. Mm-hmm. And what's beautiful about it is that it's not, the, again, it's not the highlight reel. It's not just that awesome time I went to Bahamas for XYZ. It's like me and my everyday life. So you really get to remember the person as they truly were. Mm-hmm. not some idealized version of them, um, which I think makes that memory stream so much more meaningful and important. So I'm curious, when did you come here from the Soviet Union? I came in 1990, right when um, Soviet Union was falling apart, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Gorbachev came to power and, you know, Perestroika and all this, all, all that was happening in 1990, um, December 25th, 1990 is when I came to New York is where we landed in New York. So you can imagine my surprise coming and seeing everything lit up. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. It's Christmas. <laughs> For Christmas. Um, I'm Jewish. We uh-huh. also don't like, and we didn't have Christmas in, in Ukraine or Soviet Union. We did have New Year's, but it was like a one day kind of holiday. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, this country is even more magical <laughs> than I thought it would be. Oh, and then funny. I learned it was Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah. And did you come because you had a, you had a job waiting for you here? No. Um, so I came when I was 11 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. My whole family immigrated. Um, so I'm Jewish, and there was a lot of discrimination against Jewish people uh-huh. in, uh, in Ukraine at the time. And so at, my uh, aunt and uncle immigrated to U.S. in the 70s when it was the first wave of immigration opened up. My dad stayed behind because his mom was battling cancer at the time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, she passed on. And also, unfortunately, the border closed. <laughs> Oh. And so they couldn't, they couldn't leave in the seventies. And then, um, so the first sign of the border opening up through my, the help of my aunt and uncle who were living in Kansas at the time, mm-hmm. they helped us, um, they helped us move. Cause at that time you could, you could move to us if you had a direct relative living in us and you had to immigrate to the place where they lived. Mm-hmm. So we ran it through New York, but we eventually ended up in Kansas. Wow. You're a Kansas girl. <laughs> I'm a Kansas girl. That's right. So I got a taste of living Midwest um, for a while, actually. Uh-huh. Quite different from Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet. I was going to ask, but it's it's not the right question, given how very young you were, if you began your meditation practice in the Soviet Union. Because I was trying to remember when Joseph and I started going there to teach and uh, it was still the Soviet Union, and we would go just to people's living rooms, you know, with a with a translator, with an interpreter, and and teach. And and uh, one of the trips that we had, we arrived on the eve of the coup attempt against Gorbachev. And oh my gosh! And so the the retreat that point, we were actually going to teach a retreat, and the retreat got canceled, and um, we were we were just there, you know, and. I remember Joseph sent his entire chocolate supply down to the barricades, you know, for, wow. for the revolutionaries. And we ended up leaving and, uh, and yet went back, you know, later in later years. And um, that was sort of an extraordinary experience as well, of course, you know, because um, there was uh, so much hunger for learning and for understanding and, and conditions were so tough. I mean, there were no books. It was not like, uh, you know, you could casually pick up a book and throw it down, you know. Cause, right, yeah. Uh, everything was was so precious and so, so valuable. And 
Um, so clearly that wasn't where you came into meditation practice. So where did that happen for you? Um, I had no idea they went to Soviet Union. I, would, I, yeah. didn't, even, I didn't even realize Soviet Union allowed. <laughs> well, they didn't really. I mean, not at first. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, imagine that. Probably, yeah, yeah, no, and you know, people told us. In fact, I was at, I was here at the Insight Meditation Society, and it was like the morning we were about to leave, and we were going at the invitation of some peace group, you know, and. And uh, so I was standing in the lobby at the retreat center and somebody came up to me and said, I understand you're going to the Soviet Union. I hope you're really discreet. I have a friend who went to Cuba to teach meditation and it was illegal and they got arrested. And I thought, oh, that that is a great goodbye blessing. Thank you. (laughs) You know, and and they said, don't, don't speak. We went as part of a tour group to Uh sort of make believe we were tourists. We even brought Joseph's mother with us as part of the tour group and, Every afternoon, instead of going to a museum or something like that, Joseph and I would slip off and go to someone's living room. So it was, it was very quiet, very discreet. And um, we were in Leningrad. We were in Moscow. We were in Tbilisi. We, uh, we really toured around. But it wasn't possible at that point to actually host a retreat and have mm-hmm. people leave home and so on. Um, yeah, we went several times. You're fearless. That is really, <laughs> that would have been a scary thing to do. That is really fearless. Wow. Um, I'm really impressed. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, we made really good friends. It was it was quite something. Um, yeah. And also watching the evolution of the society is, uh, you know, the iron grip of the totalitarian regime loosened yeah. a bit and it wasn't always beautiful things that emerged, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. I, I really saw in a very interesting way and kind of confounding way too, that some of the first speech that emerged was very overt anti-Semitism, oh, yes. sort of covert anti-Semitism or yeah. we went to a park and some guy was screaming on a standing on a box and with a big sign. So I said to our friend, what does the sign say? And it said something like, only black people and Jews can get AIDS. Oh my gosh. You yeah. know, and, and I thought, wow, you know, like what a thing to have emerged. And I, and now I've seen it since, you know, I've mm-hmm. seen it in Burma, I've seen it in other places that um, it's a very puzzling. Yeah. I mean, this is, is one of the reasons why we expedited our yeah. reach, uh, exit because the last month we were there, there were signs, like major signs in the train stations that kill all the Jews, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even, I mean, I was 11 years old and I obviously understood what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our doors would get marked with stars of David. I mean, it was, it was not a, it did not feel like a safe place to be mm-hmm. as somebody mm-hmm. who is Jewish. So I feel <clears throat> grateful. My parents took the step in their fifties to, yeah to yeah. leave everything behind and move. Um, but the way yeah. I found meditation was not through that. Uh-huh. <laughs> the way I found through it, a meditation was really through a dear friend of mine. Her, her name is Leah. And she was um, somebody I used to work with at Microsoft. And then we sort of just happened to move together this, uh, within a month of each other down to the Bay Area. She started working at Facebook when I think she was like their first or early on program manager there. And um, we had just moved also. And Michal was starting at the business school and was thinking of different companies that I could start um, while he was there. And she she was just somebody I stayed in touch with. And she told me about meditation. And I think she ended up gifting me a set of CDs from Jack, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Jack Cornfield basic meditation or so I can't remember what the name was, but and I just started listening to them. And so that was my first sort of encounter mm-hmm. with it. Um, the result of me was I'm not doing it right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really am bad at this thing called meditation. I can't do it. I, I sort of put him, put him away. Um, and then it just sort of like, through through the years like things would come up um you know spirit rock is not too far from here 
Mm-hmm. And so Miha and I decided to give it another go. And we went and spent like a day at Spirit Rock doing meditation. And I, I think at that point, it finally clicked that there's no wrong way to do meditation. <laughs> Just sitting mm-hmm. and the thoughts coming, you know, the thoughts appearing in my mind are actually, and being aware that that's, oh, I'm lost in thought is actually meditation. And I, I just started to loosen the critic, you know, mm-hmm. my self-critic against it. Um, but, you know, my I think the biggest thing that happened that really got me stuck with meditation was uh, several years ago now. So I would do the meditation, you know, meditation practices kind of like on and off, but not very consistent. And then I think it's four years ago now, I had my eyes started really hurting. I had... Um, I was sick with like a bad cold or something. And then, you know, my eyes were tearing as part of it. But every once in a while, they would just like really burn and like really hurt. And I um, kept thinking that just part of the having this cold, it was like a, it was a bad, bad cold. And then one morning I woke up and I just couldn't, like, I could not, not have the pain. There was nothing I could do. The pain was so awful. I couldn't keep my eyes open. Even when they were closed, it was burning. Um, It was the worst pain I've experienced in my life. And I gave birth to two kids by that Uh point, you know, Um, and it was, it was, it was just really bad. It turned out I had abrasions on both of my eyes, corneal abrasions on both of my eyes. And and they were all over both of my eyes. Couldn't figure out why, but the point is I couldn't really work for a while until my eyes healed. And during this time, my husband um, took over my job, you know, so he was, he was at the time the CEO and he was, and I was running product and design at the company. So he Mm -hmm. was doing both jobs. And I remember there was a moment where he was telling me what's going on in the company. And instead of me feeling so grateful for Mm -hmm. what he's doing, I felt such jealousy. I felt so much um, like my self-critic got so loud Mm -hmm. that, oh my gosh, here he is doing a better job than you, even while <laughs> he's doing two jobs. Like there's basically, there's, there's nothing that I'm good at is, mm. is what I was hearing in my mind. And, you know, I've been working with this like self-critic for years. I've had coaches and side with this and, and it was just like really a difficult time. And finally I um, remembered about Byron Katie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I called the helpline. Like, I just like, there's nothing I can do. The only thing I can do is get help. And I literally called their free helpline. And after 45 minutes of sitting with my own thoughts about what I was feeling (laughs) and feeling the kind of the meditative practice of it, I really felt a shift. And so the next day I called again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And again, it was a completely different person. And it was again, the most amazing experience and I could really like feel a difference in my, I mean, not to sound too weird, but like in my energy, like I mm-hmm. felt like I was uh, shifting to be a different person. Um, and so from there, I reached out to my friend Leah again, who I've stayed friends with all these years and asked her if she knows somebody who coaches in this work. Um, and so I've been doing this, like the work for the past four years on now a weekly basis and oftentimes daily basis. Um, and then in addition to that, I also do medit- like just meditation practice in the mornings and evenings as a way of starting and ending my day. Anyways, that yes. might be too much information, but that no, is, no, 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 that's no. how it all um, kind of like gelled for me. It's fantastic, really. And, and one of the thoughts that came up in my mind was, well, first of all, bravo, because it's not easy for a strong person, you know, a CEO to realize they need help. Yeah. And it's very, very hard. And, and that struck me because, of course, now we're in a time uh, where many people could use some help. And, and it's quite hard to ask, especially if you're a kind of caregiver, maybe even just being a mom, you know, if you're a caregiver, if you take care of others, if you organize, if you manage you know people uh, to kind of say "Ooh, you know like i could use some help is actually a very brave thing to do and it's an essential thing to do and and i'm so glad that that you did it and that it was available 
Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. It, um, it really felt like I, it was like a self-critic about the self-critic, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, it's bad when you're criticizing the fact that you have a self-critic. And, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> and for me, it's, um, it's just been this journey of discovering self-love. And I know you talk a lot about mm-hmm. it too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the compassion, not just, it was like, so it's so easy to have compassion but for me, it's easy to have compassion for others and mm-hmm. very difficult to have compassion for self. And I want to go back for a moment because yeah. of my own fixations. Yeah. When you, were, when you were 11 years old and you were yeah. coming to New York, did you see the Statue of Liberty? No. As you were we entering? Didn't. Okay. Uh, well, we might. No, I don't think we saw it. Not even, I don't remember seeing it through the plane because we came, they, um, they took us, we were missing some paperwork. So we had to stay at a kind of like a special hotel mm-hmm. for people like us who messed up our paperwork. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, but it wasn't like down, you know, it wasn't in that part, that part of New York and we didn't have access. Like we couldn't really leave the property very much. There was like a certain allowance of like where we could go. Cause we weren't like mm-hmm. officially allowed into the country yet. Uh-huh. So I'm no. just, of course, you know, in love with the Statue of Liberty, and and uh, I was wondering what that would have been like. But you can still go see her. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've been we've been since and showed our kids and yeah, and it's got a family. And I mean, honestly, it's. I mean, I remember just crossing the border. I mean, there's Statue of Liberty, but it's also just like at the airport. Yeah. In Moscow, like crossing the border of like after the patrol, and like yeah. now you're in the normal airport yeah it was as if i was already in a different country mm-hmm. it was just night and day and then coming to us it was it has been an amazing experience i really feel like i am i get to live the american dream in many ways mm-hmm. even as there's all the ways that i think we as a society could do better um yeah i feel incredibly fortunate to be here and very grateful that the country took us in how old are your children right now? My oldest is 11. So mm. it's the age that I came. I'm yeah. our, our youngest is nine and a half. So what does your meditation practice look like these days as a mom and with a very full plate of work? You know, for me, um, I really prioritize meditation over many things. I've really seen that it's made a huge difference in my relationships with my kids, with my partner, but also at work um, and my own self joy, <laughs> my own joy with life. So I really, really prioritize it. So for me, it does look up, look like I'm usually wake up between like five thirty, between five thirty and six in the morning. And then I'll spend 45 minutes or so meditating. Um, if I'm, don't feel like meditating at the very least I'll listen to a podcast mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, about meditation or by one of the meditate uh, one of the teachers like I'll do something like that um, and then again at night before I go to sleep I'll do another uh, probably 45 30 minutes meditation then again either listening or sitting I've given myself permission to meditate in bed and not be too stuck on sitting on the floor and sitting up and all the rules. So I'm a I'm more chill meditator in that way. Um, and then at least weekly, I do worksheets um, using, I work with a coach from one of the certified coaches from, from Byron Katie. Um, so I, once a week, I meet with her and then on, just on my own, I do it as well. It's so great. It's It's been life-changing mm-hmm. it's honestly been life-changing I feel more in line with who I really am I feel more I make I, I just feel like my connection with my kids especially has really changed for the better um there's a lot less I don't know we still disagree and obviously we still fight and they still don't listen they're still kids you know and I still get upset like all that but I just see how we go back to connection so much quicker 
you know, it used to be that like the way that I was raised and I love my parents, I'm very close to them, but the way I was, the way I was raised, and it's really because that's how they were raised is <laughs> kids, kids should talk when they're talked to and you should really listen to your parents and here's, here's just how things should be done and parents demand respect. And, you know, I think that's created a place where oftentimes it was easy for me to dismiss what my kids' needs are. Not like the basic needs, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what's a a great example. Just recently, um, if my daughter doesn't want to share a book with her sister, you know, from my point of view, that's silly. You should share. But if I, but through this meditation practice, I'm able to still, I first say, what? You should still share. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I can get in touch with like a knot in my stomach and I can feel that my heart is beating in a different way. Like I just notice the physical body mm-hmm. and I can either pause and say, okay, tell me more. Why is this so important to you? Or sometimes I still you know, get upset. And then it takes another five, 10 minutes. I'll come back to her room and say like, Hey, I'm really sorry that I used this tone when I talked to you. Can you tell me more why it's important for you to not share this book with your sister or why it's the other one. This just happened yesterday. You know, one of my kids was eating, she was eating with her hands, Mm -hmm. something that I wouldn't think is appropriate to you with her hands. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. like, this is so disgusting. Why are you doing this? (laughs) And then Later, I came back and I realized like the way that my tone was so judgmental. It was so like, even though I didn't use any mean like words, Mm -hmm. my tone was enough to say like, you're not good enough. Like what you're doing is not good enough. And I don't want to have that kind of relationship with her. Mm -hmm. So I went back and I apologized and I said, okay, here's why I don't want you to be eating with your hands, especially after you just came back from the playground. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know you wash your hands and chances are it was not an excellent job. (laughs) 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 And so like, and, and so we're creating this opportunity to have real dialogue with each other. And as a result, our relationship just continues to evolve and get better. And I really see both of them as my teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, in ways that I wasn't seeing him like that before. Like I often was annoyed or impatient. Um, and that's just not how I want to be with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's all the meditation. It's all the meditation work, right? Like this is the beauty of once I find that love and kindness for myself, I can like I'm finally seeing how I can be loving and I can be kind to others if I'm not that way towards myself. Mm-hmm. It's like finally <laughs> clicking uh-huh. for me. Well, that's because, great. Yeah, otherwise I just become resentful. And it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with me not standing up for my needs and what I what mm-hmm. I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so when you were doing research on happiness, um, did you th- research mirror neurons? Did you research the visual sense? Because I've often been curious about that. Like I know, um, not with happiness, but with trauma, that I don't know the research, but I, I just know anecdotally from my friends that um, the people who were in New York City, for example, on 9-11 and uh, I have a friend who was on the Brooklyn Bridge. She had just uh, walked across the bridge to bring her kids to school, drop them off in Brooklyn. And she was walking back across the bridge to Manhattan. And she had some random thought like, I don't look at the sky enough. And she looked up just in time to see the plane hit the World Trade Center. Oh, my gosh. And uh, and I, of course, I was not there. I was in, in Massachusetts, but... I watched that scene on TV like 70 billion times. Yeah. And uh, there's something about the visual of it. I mean, of course, some people were horribly impacted personally and had, you know, tremendous loss. But if you were not they, you know, those people, but you were a witness, so to speak, 
that the level of trauma, the degree to which it entered you, actually seemed to some extent to depend on the visual sense. So I don't know the science, if this is true or not, but I know people, I know people who were uh, kayaking in Canada, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and didn't have a TV anywhere. And then some other kayak went by them and said, did you hear what happened? You know? And then they maybe were listening afterwards on the radio or something like that. It actually made a difference. And so, I'm thinking, oh, you made a point of starting a video chat company, you know, where where that's a feature. And I'm just wondering if that was because of um, an understanding about the power of the visual sense. You know, when we started um, the company, video was still very, very new. Mm-hmm. Like back when we started, you couldn't send a video from like your iPhone to Android. Like you just there wasn't a way to do it. <laughs> and even between iPhones, you had to, or between, you know, Android to Android, iPhone to iPhone, you had to like trim the video. So it was very, very early. I don't remember um, any research at the time that specifically mm-hmm. talked about the power of video that mm-hmm. there might have been. But what we noticed was just from our anecdotal experience, the power of video within our, um, within our families. And the power of video with our kids. Because what we did was before before Marco Polo, we actually had our, we sort of like recorded. Do, do, you must remember this. We There used to be like you carried in your wallet that photo thing in a plastic. Yeah. It was like this thing with photos of people you love <laughs> that you carry in your wallet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so really we, a young person. You know, like, I remember that. I was think I was sitting here thinking, I still don't know how to send a video from you know, <laughs> unless it's by email or something. Yeah. Um, so we we tried to recreate it with our kids through a video. Mm-hmm. Where we had we recorded um, we had our family record little video snippets and then we created like a almost like a fake it was like a video book for our kids. So they could tap on a picture of a family member and the family member would say, hi, good mm. morning. How was your day? Mm. And then pause. And our kids would respond. <laughs> and then, you know, then later it'd be like, all right, I'm going to share a story with you. And then they would just say the story, but it might, our kids believed it was, they were having a conversation with mm-hmm. those family members mm-hmm. and it would play them over and over and over. And still the impact was that they felt like they were having these conversations with our family members. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, also with, especially um, grandparents who could see the power of what it was like to, for them to receive a video versus what we were doing before was just, you know, sharing a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we almost like intuitively really understood the power that video has. And it was just a matter of technology catching up, mm-hmm. catching up with it. So early on for us, video, video had to be part of it. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's so much, I mean, when somebody says, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. <laughs> if they just type it, I'm fine. That's different than I, me saying like, mm-hmm. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even the sound of the voice, there's so much information. And, you know, there is research in how um, communication is so much more than just the words they're using. It's the body language. It's also what's around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and to us, that's all part of authentic communication. You know, I was, uh, I was joking. Like, one of the ways my friends know that I'm really stressed out is if my room is in complete disarray. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, because that's like the first thing to go is cleaning my stuff up. Like, I just start making messes. And so if I'm polo, they catch me with, with that. They'll say, <laughs> is everything actually okay? <laughs> what, what's, really, what's really going on? Um, so, no, that's really funny because I sometimes have described myself as the nosiest person on Zoom. You know, because <laughs> I'm always looking at people's backgrounds. And I was on um, recording 
something else with a, a good friend the other day, and he had this bookshelf behind him. So, of course, I was reading the books, and I yeah. rather casually pointed out, I don't see any of my books behind you. <laughs> and he said, I swear I have them all. They're just around the corner. <laughs> I said, well, you might move them over when you're talking to me. You know, like, It's like the least you can do. So, But, of course, there is. You're right. There's so much information. Even when you hear somebody say, I'm fine. You know, yeah. and you think it doesn't sound that good, you know, but, and then you see like, oh, um, they look kind of grumpy. And, you know, why did they say, in fact, there was a, there's like a wellness challenge going on right now with the New York, in the New York Times, which I signed up for. And uh, it's quite fun so far. And yesterday was the first day. And, and the question was, how are you really? <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah. I was on the phone with somebody soon after that, and, and they said, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm fine. And then I said, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. You know, like, mm -hmm. It's a little generic. You know, Maybe I have to dig a little deeper. Yeah. And, I mean, and then, especially if you're actually seeing them face-to-face. -face. But yeah. we're so trained to just answer, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's like another pointer to like the weakening, the weakening of bonds. Because normally, like, that that wouldn't be an acceptable answer, mm -hmm. right? Like, I remember having conversations with people where generally I would tell them, like, things are not going well. <laughs> mm -hmm. But now I just, uh, and, you know, I think we're evolving and figuring out ways. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll continue to look for ways that we can bring back strong ties and strong bonds and connection to the world. I love that challenge. Like, yeah. What do you like, really? Really? For that. Yeah. It's really? <laughs> it was very funny. Um, so I had just finished reading the article and then there was this call. And it was like, oh, all right. Um, and I, I just had this funny flash of a, uh, a business um, idea for you, which may be totally ludicrous, but I thought, well, maybe it would be interesting as part of this communications platform to have uh, a curriculum or, or even just hints about what is good communication like, hmm. you know, listening, um, mm -hmm. things like that, just for fun. So somebody can do the, the good communications course if they want to. Yeah. Almost like teach people, teach people how to connect in a way that is. Yeah actually connecting you know it's something that you could do on our platform <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> totally putting on a spot now but we do have i don't know if you know about this but we do have marco polo channels which just launched last year which oh, has been it. yeah it's it's uh our new it's, i don't know it's our new product i would say but it's really more than that we're you know, the mission is still the same to help people feel close, but Marco Polo Channels in particular is about helping leaders who are passionate about helping people do that while making money. Mm -hmm. So we have people who are teaching parents how to be mindful, but we also mm -hmm. have people who are teaching watercolor <laughs> lessons oh. because to them, watercolor is not just watercolor. You know, anybody could take an online course, but this is a way for them to live, to help their clients or their customers live their best life. To them, watercolor is a way of helping people be more in the moment, do something that's rewarding to them. But there's also people on the platform who are teaching others how to start their first business. Mm -hmm. all, there's all kinds of teachers, but um, the notion is really, how can we help more people make a living doing what they love to do? Well, that's fascinating. So to, to say the um, person teaching watercolor need yeah. to bring along the people who will attend or do they sign up in a different way? Yeah. So the way it's been working so far is it tends to be people who already have some kind of offering mm -hmm. in the re like in the real world or even in the virtual world. But they're really looking for a more personal connection. Because like I said, you could take an online class, but usually 
people don't finish online courses, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and usually it's a pretty isolating experience actually. So what we're trying to do is, okay, you might have this material somewhere else and that's fine, but bring a group of people here and have a way where they can ask you a question, have a way they can ask each other questions and connect with one another, but also have a way for you to teach like in a one-to-many kind of way to the entire group, some topics. So mm-hmm. You know, she might uh, one day share like her mistakes that she's made in watercolor and then encourage everybody to pose. What mistakes have you made? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just as a way of normalizing it. Um, And then she might have like a QA and a day where she's like, okay, ask your craziest question or something you've been wanting to know. And then people will follow up with questions. But um, it's really for leaders who actually where personal connection really matters to them because mm-hmm. they care about seeing the impact of that their work is having on people's lives. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's like, yeah, but yeah. I'm now wondering if I'm just like a lonely person who wants to learn how to watercolor. Do I look <laughs> on Marco Polo for options that may appear in channels or do I need to know the instructor from some other way? Got it. It's a separate app. It's called Marco Polo Channels. Okay. And on MarcoPolo.me, there's um, a few listings of leaders that are mm-hmm. already available. Um, they could join. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think it's it's fascinating. And I would, I would think about a communications device, you know, because – or not device, but course, course you yeah. know, because uh, since the whole thing is about communications, and it's hard, you know, like – um, to remember to be specific or something I, I tell people um, a lot. And I just did it this morning, actually, in thinking about meditation practice and bringing it into your life. People, including myself, often use a word like maintain or keep or something that sounds like, oh, if I got overwhelmed or I lost my temper, then I blew it. I failed. And and people say to me all the time, how can I stay mindful all day long hmm. at work? Or how can I maintain? Today is the maintain word. And, and I said, I don't really think that's realistic. I think yeah. more likely we lose it, but we learn how to return. We learn how to recover. That's the whole point. And so words themselves are kind of fascinating in terms of what they imply. And, and so it could be kind of fun, actually. So anyway. I, I love that idea. I really love it. I think that I think we should do it. <laughs> I think we should teach people how to communicate. That's a great idea. We'll be in touch, you and I. <laughs> yeah, I, will, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm going to look up, since wonderful. I do belong to Marco Polo, I'm going to look up channels. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, when so you know, you've described your, the influence <laughs> of meditation on your parenting, and how does that translate into leadership at the company? Yeah, it's honestly, it's hard to imagine how it doesn't, (laughs) Um, you know, there's so many ups and downs in the world of a startup, especially. And I mean, it's so easy to, for me to sort of get like, you, you know, on both sides, like really high, but then also really sad when something doesn't go how I think it should. Mm-hmm. Um, and meditation has really helped me um, stay more even keel about both the ups and, and the downs. And mm-hmm. and then the other piece of it is it's helped me realize that there's only so much I can really control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that much. <laughs> you know, I, I was raised with this mindset of, if I do X, Y, Z, then I'll get, you know, the next thing. And then if I do that, then I can get to the next thing. And then if I, da, 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 and it's like a never ending wheel that, you know, becomes like a hamster wheel. They just keep running faster and hoping you get to the next level. But in the end, what that was creating for me was just a ton of anxiety, a ton of not feeling like I'm good enough a ton of comparing myself to other people and not enjoying the journey <laughs> that's unfolding in front of me. 
you know, mm-hmm. so since um, this meditation practice, I've really um, been learning to accept and at times, at times maybe welcome, but I'm not quite there yet, that I don't have control <laughs> and things do unfold in the, you know, in life as, as they do and um, try to stay present as much as I can. As you say, like, I, I can't be mindful all the time. It's just, I, mm-hmm. I try to return to being mindful as often mm-hmm. as I can. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think the other piece is I really try to incorporate some of this in our company's culture, mm-hmm. you know, and it's everything from like, we start our company retreats um, with medit- short meditation led by me, just a few minutes, but I find it's a great way to, connect and like center and kind of like actually arrive mm-hmm. to the retreat we start most of our meetings like um, small group meetings with a check-in like what color are you just as a simple way of becoming aware of what's going on for yourself and revealing what you are arriving with <laughs> um and then I don't know if you know about um, conscious leader, like the 15 commandments of conscious leadership. No. Um, it's a, it's a great book that incorporates a lot of actually mindfulness practices, but in for a corporate corporate world. So we are now incorporating that into our culture. So everything from, they have a concept of you, are you above the line or below the line as a way of where you like, how are you feeling? <laughs> You know, it's like a, it's a more business-like, I guess, way of talking mm-hmm. about mindfulness. Um, but they also teach about active listening. You know, so to your point about let's talk, let's teach people how to communicate. Active listening is a mm-hmm. really big piece of it. Um, and also how to have candid conversations and revealing very vulnerably, which includes a lot of mindfulness because you have to reveal how you're feeling, what stories you've made up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as a way of connecting to other people. So those are some, some ways that mindfulness, and of course, I mean, the biggest thing for me is actually this whole, I'm sure Athea has talked to you about this, like how important and good for you technology mindset is for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like our whole company is aligned around that. So it's everything from our business model. You know, we don't sell your user data. We don't have ads um, to our design decisions. Like we don't have counts of likes, like you were referring. We don't, we don't have that. There's no way for you to see which one of your polos got more likes mm-hmm. than another. Mm-hmm. And that's very intentional. We want you just to be able to talk and not worry about what other people judge you, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Um, so we, you know, we don't have, algorithms aimed at keeping you in the app for as long as possible. Um, like, so we're very mindful about design decisions that we're making um, because we like, you know, I, we all believe technology is magical and it can be done in a way that's really connecting and it's good for you. And do you pay attention to kind of the next frontier in technology for how people are connecting or will be connecting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and actually the next frontier for me is it's both all the new tech, you know, VR and and holograms and all this other stuff. But it's also, I mean, you know, I'm part of the Mobius group. Mm -hmm. So it's also about how can we do more to incorporate wisdom teachings, like everything, you know, everything we know from mindfulness and, and the research, like how do we incorporate that into actual technology, like into technology, both in terms of like our culture and what more I can do in our company to create a place that's, you know, safe, that's innovative, um, but also in, in technology, how can we actually create, you know, as Aiden would say, technology that's worthy of human spirit. Mm. So beautiful. Well, I want to thank you so much for, joining me today. It was really, really a pleasure to talk to you and inspiring too. And, and uh, it was just what I had hoped for in talking, you know, to somebody who um, is working in the world and trying to make it a better world and these bizarre circumstances and, um, you know, being uh, 
a young immigrant to this country was was an extra added <laughs> lovely thing to to hear thank about. You. So thank um, you so much for having me. It's it's such a joy to to know you and to be part of this. I'm really I'm gonna pinch myself. <laughs> so good. <laughs> well thank you. And and for all those listening to learn more about Vlada's work, you can visit www.marcopolo.me. So it's marcopolo.me. A big thank you to all listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, and may you live with ease. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.